<laughs> Welcome to Wednesday. It's been a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> oh, if you just tuned in and you were waiting for my black self, I had all kinds of tech problems, all kinds. So I have a wireless keyboard that died. I had to get batteries. My fresh batteries, my pack of batteries is sitting in my inner city office because my keyboard there died a few days ago, a week or so ago. So I just took all the batteries there. I just grabbed them and threw them in my bag. I didn't bring them home. So when this keyboard, which has never died before, the batteries went dead. It didn't connect to the computer. It's a wireless. All kind of mess. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so I'm back. I'm here. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not going to let it knock me off my game, though. I'm not going to let it knock me off my game because it's the middle of the week, baby. It's Wednesday. And I got Oni coming on at 1015. And that's enough right there. That beautiful black brother coming on at 10.15 is enough to make any ill well. <laughs> Shout out to Bloom yesterday and Adrian Jefferson and uh, Thema, uh, Tama uh, for hosting and, and, uh, and uh, the other sister, uh, the Black Jesus sister, <laughs> um, for hosting uh, the Connecticut Wine Down at Bloom yesterday, a cultural get together uh, to work on the cultural equity plan. It was fabulous. Ife and I crashed. We weren't invited. We crashed it because them 30 something year olds, they needed some old lady issue. They need some old lady ish up in there. So we, we went and uh, it was fabulous. I couldn't stay long because I really wanted to, uh, I, I had to get on a, a call, had a wonderful uh, panel discussion yesterday with the uh, Negro Business and Professional Women. Uh, and thank you to them. It was wonderful. Me, Michelle Turner, um, uh, um, uh, Gilvan, uh, Veronica Douglas, and uh, Ms. Pegues. It was, it was lovely. Uh, 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 Alicia from uh, CBS Morning. Uh, so it was great. It was a great discussion. You know, anytime I get to sit up and chop it up and mix it up with sisters, I'm happy to do. So that was wonderful. Uh, I don't know if Paul is going to get some word on the street in, but Paul, if you're out there scouring these streets, come on in, baby. I'm sorry. I My tech issues are just, I don't know. I, and I was I was prepared and ready. I was like, oh, I got my spa water. You know, I'm ready. My lights are right. Everything is right. Anyway, can I just tell you what brought me great pleasure this morning? Um, Gary, Gary Winfield, you singing with your babies in the car was great. And that's not bad singing. They were singing, wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backwards thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much. They were just getting it in. So, and that's a damn good song to, to teach the bit to sing. That's the gotta teach the babies. That's a good song. That's a that's a perfect, positive, affirming song. You raising up little activists. <laughs> Somebody got to run this world. Why not them? 
So the babies, uh, Amani, they were singing, her and her dad, uh, Gary Winfield in the car was cute, cute, cute. Wake up all the people, no more sleeping in bed. I'm no singer, but I pretend to be one on radio. So that was fun. So high five, Amani, high five, Gary Winfield. I see your son didn't chime in. I guess he might be the musician. <laughs> he might be the musician. He might be the he might be the one to keep the percussion. <laughs> so uh, you know, listen, uh, pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. So anyway, uh I'm feeling pretty good. I went to bed last night, slept in. A little bit. I got up, worked on um, some LSAT. I, I I don't I don't seem to have a rhythm. I think I lost my rhythm for this. I have to get it back. And I think because I have so much clutter around me, it's throwing me off, and uh, and I can't seem to get a rhythm for it. So I have to figure this out uh, because I just feel like I'm just not doing optimum stuff. So uh, so anyway. Uh, there's a dance conversation tonight at the Sandbox, you know, over at 80, 80 Audubon at the Arts Council space. Uh, go and join Alexis Robbins and Lynn Peterson to talk about how we can center art, uh, dan dance in the arts community more present, more fully. Uh, I, 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 uh, with them and we decided on a date, uh, but I've got other commitments today that I can't, I can't make it. Um, but I'm going to send my remarks any old way. I'm going to send my remarks. Uh, I'm going to be at the, uh, this evening, uh, facilitating a panel for the o Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity uh, chapter here in New Haven. They are, for Women's History, uh, celebrating Black women. And I'm facilitating a panel of some divine sisters. And I'm so... Uh, I am so delighted to be doing it. So unbelievably delighted. And you know, listen, it's some of my favorite, some of my favorite people any old way. So it's people that I dig. Uh Karen DeBose Walton, Dory Dumas. Uh, let me see. Wait, wait, wait. Let me get it right. Let me get it right. Because these are women that I think there's only like one woman that I don't, I don't actually know. Uh, but I, you know, I know Dr. Karen DeBose Walton. Uh, Alicia Piggy Spearman, uh, Dory Dumas, and Darina Mitchell. So they're going to be on the panel tonight. And we're just going to be talking about women in leadership and what that looks like and what that means. And, and uh, you know, uh, so I'm excited. That's going to be good. That's going to be a good conversation tonight. Last night was a great conversation. Tonight will be a good conversation. Um, and then tomorrow morning at 9.15, um, Kayla Vincent, who heads up uh, the, the Racial and Justice Center at Yale Law School and uh, directs the uh, Yale Access to Law School Fellow Program. She's coming on tomorrow because they've got a whole program on tomorrow, too, uh, a symposium. Uh, which uh, which I'm supposed to do a walking tour for tomorrow. But I think the weather is going to prohibit that because it's going to be 12 degrees. Ain't nobody trying to see nothing, no, nothing in 12 degree weather. <laughs> so uh, Facing Life, Law and the Racial Justice Center uh, Symposium. So that kicks off tomorrow evening. Uh, so if you've not... Uh, 
if you want to have a chance to see the visiting room project, uh, which is a digital experience that invites the public to sit face-to-face with people serving life without the possibility of parole to hear them tell their stories in their own words, uh, then this is for you. And I think they're doing it. So it starts Thursday. I'm going to try, try. I want to, I really want to get over there for that. So it starts at 630 to 830. So I'm going to miss that. I'm going to be on the Omega Sci-Fi conversation which is too bad because I really want to uh, catch that. Um, And then the panel, uh, and then Friday from 10 to 11, uh, I'm going to miss that too because uh, I will have uh, uh, Patty Russo as my uh, last guest for Women's History Month. So I'm excited to have her on and I'm sad to be missing um, this uh, post-convention post-conviction legal advocacy and the role of jailhouse lawyers. I'm sorry to be missing that, but I think I'm going to catch the mass incarceration ratio and injustice and opportunities for relief. I think I'll catch that uh, tomorrow. I think I can catch that. And then the last panel is uh, uh, community support for those confined in jail and prison. So from six to seven in Next Haven on Friday. And then I'm going to run over to a couple of there's two things I gotta hit tomorrow, and I'm gonna hit them. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm do all the things. I'm gonna make it. I, listen, I have there's no doubt in my mind. So, and then uh, the last panel is at seven thirty to eight thirty. Uh, uh, we all have a role to play in disrupting mass incarceration. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do all the things. I'm gonna do my level best. I, it's a good chance I won't make everything, but. We'll try to make some of it. And uh, it's going to be challenging. Oh, it's going to be a challenge. But I'm I'm up for a challenge. I'm up for a challenge. And what is life without a challenge? So, so, so that's, that's the rollout for the weekend, right? So far, we'll see what happens. And then, uh, of course, I got Yale Access to Law School Saturday Academy. I'm going to have a coffee with Nikki Davidoff on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, um, I want to go to the Mingus. This is this is the stuff that I cannot tolerate. I want to go to the Mingus Epitaph uh, over at the uh, Yale Music School. But it runs right up against uh, what I'm trying to do. At uh, I got to be at Bloom at four because um, I'm corralling people for the Marrakesh trip. I wish I would have changed that date and time, but no matter. Because I really would like to go here to tribute to Mingus. Like I'm hoping that they they stream it or something. I go back and listen to it, I catch it. Because uh, that's something I really want to catch, and I'm really torn. And and if I didn't have to pick up food at three o'clock, I would pop in there for the first hour. And then make my way over to Bloom, but I have to pick up food. So maybe, maybe I go for an hour. Maybe I go from two to three and then go pick up food and then go. Cause maybe that's what I get to do. I don't know. It just bums me out. Seriously. <laughs> As you know, I just feel like I want to do every damn thing under the sun. And it just bothers me that I can't. Do you know what I mean? Like, Like I can't. So anyway, that's that. That's where we are. 
uh, it's been a, it's, it's always uh, busy. It's just busy. And I, I like that about this city. So I like that about, about this city so much um, that we, we have so many things to choose from and, and then there are hard things to choose from. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's no easy way. There's no easy, like, oh, I know that's going to be yucky. I'll go to this thing. Nope. There, there's so much good stuff um, that you are really hard pressed to uh, make your way. So oh, I've got messages. Hi, hi. I can't answer them right now. <laughs> I, I can't answer your messages. So, uh, but anyway, that's the way of the world, beautiful people. We're just trying to, we're just trying to do our thing. And, uh, oh, wait, did I tell you? Did I tell you? I don't think I did. Let me, let me tell you right now. Cause I, I didn't open it. I got this in the mail. This is, uh, this is Titus Kafar and Dwayne Reginald Betts, Reginald Dwayne Betts new book called Redacted, Redaction. And uh, I had already saw it at Possible Futures Bookstore. It's such a beautiful book. And I, I to take a picture of it really doesn't do it any justice. It's one of these books that you have to really hold in your hand. And uh, it's not a paperback. It's not a hardback. It's a flexible, fle- flexible book because uh, you cannot send hard books to prison because, you know, weapons and all that other kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, jail is a place where the criminal element can, you know, develop a new sense of skill sets. So anyway, this is a, a flexible book that is acceptable because I asked about this. I was like, is this book, ex- like what? But it's a, I'm, let me tell you something. This is one of these kinds of books where high art and high intellect marry. Do you know what I mean? When high art and high intellect marry, this is what this is, and uh, it's it's a it's a and it's a it's it's not a cheap book neither, baby. This book is hundred, a hundred, a hundred. But let me tell you something. Uh, I've spent more for less, and uh, and I want people to know, uh, support this book, support all kinds of books, right? But when you when you get opportunity to get high art, you should take it if you could afford it. And I know that's a that might sound elitist. You know, I'm not trying to be let them eat cake kind of chick. That's not who I am. But for those of you all who can afford this and can make this available to other people, you should. Because it's uh I mean Titus Kafar is a brilliant uh uh, uh artist. And du- Reginald Dwayne Betts is one of the finest thinkers of our time, right? Uh, so, so this book is a tour de force. I mean, it's amazing when you put two, two, two brothers together and what they come up with. <laughs> I, I absolutely, I absolutely love this. I absolutely love it. And I hope that they carry it, uh, at, at their little space at Next Haven and, and at Possibly Futures. It's not cheap and it's interesting. And I can't wait to talk to them. And they're they're going to be my guest April 7th. I cannot wait to talk to them to hear the thinking. Like, how did this come about? Like, was they sitting over at a House of Nine, kicking it, throwing back cocktails, talking about, yo, man, you know what we should do? 
Or was it was it more highbrow than that? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know when they at the barbershop talking about, yo, yo, I think we could do this. I don't know. I want to find out. So I'm going to ask all the questions. Let me get up in there. And, you know, talking to guys is a little challenging because men don't men don't chat it up like women. Well, heterosexual men don't chat it up the way that uh, women do and some of my my uh my my gay friends and and i'm not trying to be uh whatever i'm not trying to put all gay people in one category but the majority of my my gay friends the people that i know can chat it up and get it in right could chat you up a lot of heterosexual men don't do that they don't chat it up that way but i've seen these two brothers on cbs sunday morning or one of these little shows no good morning america and they were talking about it pretty well but they were talking to Michael Strahan, who, you know, is is not is not a conversationalist. <laughs> no shade to Michael Strahan, none whatsoever. He has he has he has a wonderful job and does a wonderful job. But you know, he's not the chatty, he's not he's not a chatty kind of cat. And when you're talking to men like this, it's just not very conversational. It's gonna be conversational with me because I want to know, I want to know the background story, I want to know about the design. I want to know what redaction means. I want to know, I want to know all of it. What and what's the thinking? Hey Paul Bass. Hi Babs, how you doing? Oh, I had some challenges this morning, but I'm better. I heard about the batteries. Well, Isa's <laughs> waiting to get started too. Isa's here with us on Elm Street. She's a DoorDash driver and she's waiting for her next call. Oh good morning, Isa. Right. What's the word on the street today? Uh, I'm just waiting. <laughs> Are, are you you drive every day for DoorDash? Yes, four and, times. And what time did you start this morning? Eight. Yeah, eight o'clock. So yeah. do people really order much breakfast at DoorDash? Yes. Really? Yes, exactly. And where do you drive from for DoorDash? Oh, Brantford, uh, Guilford, sometimes. Really? Yeah. And what brought you into New Haven? What? What brought you here into New Haven? Oh, New Haven, so busy all day. Mm-hmm. So now, when's the, what, what time was your last order? Last order? Oh, uh, I didn't start yet. Oh, you're starting now? Yeah. Do you live here? No, West Haven. Okay, what, why are you, I'm just wondering why you're parked here on Elm. Oh, it's not busy here. Mm -hmm. And I'm waiting here. Okay, how long have you been a DoorDash driver? Oh, maybe one year. One year? Mm -hmm. And what got wow. you started doing that? Oh, with Honda. <laughs> Honda? Yeah, Honda CRV. And I changed my car maybe five months ago. Uh huh. Yeah. And what did you do for a living before you were a driver? Before? Uh, I was in warehouse mm -hmm. uh, packaging. Oh, yeah. Where was that? In Brantford. Why did you make the change? Well, it's easy. Nordish. Mm -hmm. I'm the boss, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, it's good to me. Do you work? Do you make as much money? Yes. And do you work as many hours? Yeah. How many hours a day? Uh, sometimes eleven. Eleven hours a day. Yeah. And how much money can you make? About one fifty a day. Uh huh. Okay, so that's about fifteen an hour, a little yeah. less. Yeah. And what's your favorite? place to bring food from oh donut crazy donut crazy yes. where's that uh, in uh <laughs> you know donut yes crazy. i i know yeah 
They are crazy. I love them. What what, what makes them crazy? <laughs> Donald, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, in uh, Park York Street. Uh huh. Yeah. And do a lot of people want donut crazy? Yeah. Really, that's popular. All the time they they are busy. For you, do people want DoorDash donut crazy? No, uh, for a uh, new heaven. For a new heaven, okay. Yeah. And then, um, Issa, where, where are you from originally? What country? Oh, I'm Turkish. You're from Turkish. Yes. When did you come over? Uh, six years ago. Oh yeah, what brought you here? Did you have family or? Oh no, politics. Oh really? Yeah. It's tough there. Uh, for <laughs> women, it's not good. Really? Yeah. Did you no. come alone or with a family? Oh no, with my children. Okay. Just with and, my children. And how old are your kids? Uh, eighteen and thirteen. And how are they doing? Uh, they have a uh, school mm-hmm. in West Haven High School, mm-hmm. and my son over there, and uh, my daughter in Bailey. Bailey, yep, I know that. Yeah, now, is it Ramadan for you? Do you observe Ramadan? Ramadan, no. No, you're no, not. You're not. You're no. not Muslim. Yeah, yeah, it's. I'm Muslim, but it's hard. <coughs> tough. It is hard yeah. if yeah. you're working. Yeah. Long time. Did you do Ramadan at home back in Turkey? Yes. So when you came to America, did you stop doing Ramadan? Yes, it's so hard because I'm working all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not. I understand. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like coming to a new country? Do you have to give something up like that? Do you gain something like in order to get more freedom? Do you have to give up tradition? Yes, of course. Tell me about that. Uh, freedom for women in my country, it's so tough, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but here I'm free. Uh, Do you feel like you lose anything like with no, not doing Ramadan no, or anything? No, no, no. Okay. I'm not lose anything. So tell me your favorite memory of driving DoorDash. What's a day you will never forget of DoorDash? I don't know, actually. Was there a crazy day or a funny day? <laughs> funny day. Oh, one time uh, I was uh, calling my uh, customer and we talking each other. And she's look at me. She was look at me, and I was look at. But I'm still uh, looking her around. It was so silly for me. I mean, you couldn't find her when you went to deliver. Yeah. Where was she? Uh, I think New Helen. Uh-huh. And how do you become a DoorDash driver? Do you have to train? Do they have to check you out? Like, how do you no, become? No, I didn't training. I didn't training. You mean like how do you become? How do you become a DoorDash driver? Oh, it's easy. Just driving and you sign you, up. Huh? How did you sign oh, up? Oh, I I did. I did. And how do they say okay? Like, what do you have to do? Oh, I wait maybe two weeks. Let check you out. Yeah. How about weather? Does weather affect what you do? Yeah, of course. Rainy day. It's so busy. Uh huh. So if the weather's bad, you work more. Yeah. So do you like bad weather? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's wet, but I like rainy days. How about today? It's, it's sunny. Do you think there'll be uh, less business? It's sad, so sad for me. <laughs> do you have a special customer who every day calls or every week, like the same no, person? No, no. It's random. You're random, yes. Babs, do you have any questions for Issa? Um, so how long do you think you'll 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 continue to DoorDash? One year. And do That's you do the it, other right? ones? 
do you just do DoorDash or do you do just Grubhub or Uber Eats? No. no, just DoorDash. And do you think you'll do it for a long time in the future? Yeah, of course. You like the job? Yeah. How many days a week? Uh, six days. Six days. And yeah. do 11 hours every day? Yeah. From what time to what time? Mostly 11, uh, sometimes uh, 14. Wow. Um, yeah. So you don't get to see your kids much? I see, but you see, you know. Like who makes some dinner? Yeah. Oh, uh, after work, I'm cooking. Oh, so what time does work end? Uh, like nine. So nine. they have. So who cooks their dinner like when they get home? Oh, I'm cooking. Do you take a break from work to do that? Or? No, no, no. After. Uh, so dinner's at nine o'clock. No. Uh, I'm making for uh, the next day. After, yeah, next. Oh, day. so they heat it up. You cook yeah, at night. Yeah. So what kind of things do you cook at night for them to heat up? Uh, Turkish foods. Like what? Uh, uh, I don't know. Do you know Turkish food? A little bit, but you could explain. Not, yeah. not in restaurants like oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I actually I'm Turkish, but kind of uh separate uh. Bulgarian in separate uh, Greek, and mm. I'm making with vegetable uh, food. So you say you're part Bulgarian, partly Greek. Yes. So Turkish, Bulgarian, and uh, Greek. Are you like a mix of all three? Yes. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yes. And your family. So Babs, anything else? Or we should let her get ready for DoorDash. No, let her get ready for DoorDash. Uh, it's very nice to meet you. I, nice I, to I, meet you too. I learned a and lot I, today. So this is Issa and Paul on Elm Street signing off at Love Babs Love Talk, WNHH 103.5. Thank you. Oh, it's very nice to meet someone doing DoorDash. And 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 who is satisfied with doing it, right? Like who who is making an actual living and left another job so that she could do this. So I would imagine it is a great deal of freedom because you get to decide how much you want to work, right? And uh, and this kind of stuff has really taken off since the pandemic. Like people, uh, I mean, I, I use a great deal of DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats kind of stuff during the at the height of the pandemic uh, because so many things were closed and it just made more sense to just, uh, it's expensive as all get up though. Woo! But, you know, uh, if you if you want something delivered to you, I mean, that's not a bad way to go. I mean, you will pay dearly, but, you know, when you factor in other things, it might be cost effective for you. So, uh, but now uh, I, I'm less inclined to do it now, unless it's like some late night kind of thing. And, you know, I want something late at night. And it's now that's very rare these days uh, because I keep to a, I try to keep to a pretty good eating schedule so that, uh, you know, I'm not eating late at night. I'm not eating, you know. So anyway, uh, thank you, Paul Bass. That was really nice to meet her. Turkish, Bulgarian, Greek. So I bet you the food at that house is yummy. <laughs> Although I'd have to pass on all that yogurt. And this is vegan yogurt, and that's unlikely. But I'd get in there, eat all the, eat all the good stuff, all the yummy stuff. So, so anyway, um, back to the. Uh, the Reginald Dwayne Betts and Titus Kafar book. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful book, and uh, and thank you to them for sending it to me to the publisher. 
And uh, so we're going to have a conversation with them April 7th, and then I'm going to have a, a, a in-house conversation with them at Possible Futures. And uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a wonderful conversation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. So, and I, I love, I love to be able to uh, have these deep and abiding conversations. So, uh, so today Oni comes on and, you know, he runs uh, Connecticut Next. And, uh, I, you know, I've known Oni, when I first met him, he was running a, um, a little coffee house called something like happiness or happy lab happiness lab or something like that and uh and then he was over at Dwight Hall I think for a minute a couple of other places but uh at Connecticut next that's where he seems to be uh right now and uh and they got a lot going on so we're going to talk a little bit about uh what that means what CT next is um they are uh, innovation kind of thing so uh, so he's coming out to talk about that and i know they got a symposium or a conference coming up so i hope he talks a little bit about that uh, and so what they what i understand them to do and be is uh uh let me see uh they got a nice cast cast of people uh working for them so pretty, pretty, pretty good. Oh, hey, Mike, he works with Mike Harris, Director of Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. Uh, okay, I forgot that he was over there. Uh, Natasha Harris, Jordan Meyer, Dean Sperry. So he's got a nice, a nice group of people that he works with. And uh, they look like they are about it and uh, very, uh, uh, that's very encouraging. So let me see. Uh, let me let me let me see what else I can find out. Oh, this is such a all right. So uh, they are CT Next and Startup Yale to award over twenty thousand dollars in the first uh, ever Yale Black Venture Summit Prize. So I know that's coming up. I think that's the thing that's happening soon, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. I want to talk about the Governor's Innovation Fellowship, and uh, and I want to talk about uh, his. He just became the executive director uh, last year, January 2022. So, so I'm looking forward to it. So I don't know. Um, do we want to take a break, Harry, for 15 minutes and come back? Even though I wasn't on air for a good moment or so. So what I'll do is I'll take a break and I'll come back. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. This is Harry Droz, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org. 
strange times I'll find my strength Even when down I'll stand alone Do you love me? You're blown Sometimes I wish I was born Good news, I was so cold, oh, cold. 
back to the second hour of Love, Babs, Love Talk. I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted this morning to talk to uh, Oni. <laughs> I guess I should say your whole full government name. but Nah, nah, nah. We don't need to put that on the interwebs, Bab, but I appreciate you. <laughs> we, we, we know Oni as the... So Oni is the responsible for managing CT uh, Next full array of strategic economic development programs focusing on fostering entrepreneurship startup and growth stage businesses while cultivating a robust innovation ecosystem on behalf of the state of Connecticut. High five. <laughs> so hey, your man. task, your task with making Connecticut look innovative and uh, a good place for startups and ingenuity and all that kind of stuff. That's your task. Yep. 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 Yeah. I want to make it as easy as possible for anyone with an incredible idea to launch it in the state of Connecticut. Um, and just any type of programming or opportunities that we can build to make that easier is like what our goal is. So CT Next, we've been around for about six years now. I've been in this position as ED for about a year and some change. Uh, and it's been eye-opening and enlightening to say the least. So tell me, tell me some of the most eye-opening things. And 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 tell us where do we fare uh, against other other states that are doing innovative, that that are centering and committing to innovation. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So, um, I think there's a couple of things really that that has come to mind that I thought has been pretty interesting. I think first and foremost, um, the opportunity and the resources in the state of Connecticut. You know, I had a coffee roasting company and coffee shop in downtown New Haven. And when I was starting my business, I had no idea the type of resources that were available in terms of loans, grants, business support. Um, and there's a conversation to be had at the state level to really think about what it means to the relationship between accessibility and availability. I think oftentimes information is very available to us, but it's not necessarily always accessible. And really making that change, I think, has been really eye-opening. Mm. Um, another thing is just like Connecticut state politics, really trying to understand how to navigate through these systems, um, especially as we're in a legislative session now, thinking through what the opportunities are to really have more entrepreneurs have a voice at the state level, um, whether it's around opportunities for increasing access to capital, increasing workforce development programs, diversifying talent across the state. I think all those things are really, really important as we think about our role in all people leveraging the innovation entrepreneurship sector. I think things like Eric Clemens doing this stuff with bio and diversifying, that's pretty incredible. Um, and then in terms of how we fare in other states, uh, you know, really excited to think through what the opportunities are for us to do more work in places like Boston, New York, um, uh, and kind of the tri-state area in New England. I think we're in a very good position in terms of resources and just doing a better job of understanding how we can take full advantage of that. Mm. So, so when, so when we, so, so this is not just, uh, like an SBA kind of thing. This is, this is what exactly? Like, like who, who are you, who, who consider themselves innovative or startup or what does that look like? Like, what kinds of things are you looking for? Are you looking for things that are tried and true? Are you looking for things mm. that are new and different? Are you looking mm. for people thinking outside the box? Are you looking for people who are, uh, you know, making the box better? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think all of the above, you know, what we kind of frame it is we're looking for groundbreaking companies. 
So growth oriented, usually tech enabled. Um, but we also know in order for us to get to the next generation of maybe venture backable companies, we really need to do a better job of understanding what we can do in order to help support small to medium sized businesses. So I think mm. that's been huge on our end. Um, but we're really looking for businesses that can scale, that can create jobs, um, whether folks are coming into Connecticut to launch them, or ideally folks have been born and raised in Connecticut, and we're giving them the resources to continue to have that generational wealth and continue to really build that footprint for themselves and their families in this nutmeg state. So those are kind of big things, but really all businesses, all businesses, but with a primary focus on potential tech-enabled, venture capital-backable businesses. So are you, uh, because I, in the last few years, I've seen a lot of um, intro to business kinds of programs mm. start up, right? Like known and mm. and there's stuff at the uh, uh, collab at the lab yep. and uh, stuff at the library, SBA people. There's mm. all kinds of people starting doing these kinds of startup. Now, does that does that help you? Does that does that fuel you a little bit? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, a lot of those businesses or a lot of those organizations we sponsor. So we provide funding to a number of those organizations, Collab, Known, um, the library was a part of early CT Next funding. So that's exactly what we try to do. All of those things that you pop up, we try to play a role of either providing some real dollars, financial capital, or you know letters of support, putting them in the right places to succeed. So really, that's ex I mean, we're fueled by the work that these organizations and our entrepreneurs on the ground do uh, to help make uh, large businesses, to help scale businesses, to help find and recruit talent. All those things are crucial to our success. So talk to me, how do you measure, how do you measure the success of, of, of people, the startups and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So I think that takes a variety of roles. Um, I mean, one is careers, right? So we're kind of moving past jobs and really trying to understand what it means for our careers um, and to have really high level careers. And what I mean by careers versus jobs is, you know, you can careers to me is there's some type of upward mobility. There's an opportunity for you to get the job and there's, you know, you can go here and get a promotion and do this and do that, assistant manager, manager, just all those things rather than saying, okay, you have this job and you can only have this job and the only way to go in another direction is if you leave your industry or leave that organization. So that's one thing that definitely comes to mind in terms of measurement evaluation. Uh, I think the number of businesses started in the state, the number of businesses that, uh, last past three years, the number of businesses that receive venture capital money. Um, the, the, we do a lot of federal programs. So the type of dollars we get from federal, federal grants, um, it's kind of those things that we're really, really interested in and in providing more opportunities for. So mm. that's how we're kind of measurement and evaluating. I mean, we have a number of strategies. Each one has its own measurement and evaluation framework. Um, but overall, it's really about business growth and jobs. I mean, that's really how we're trying to make sure we do things at a high level. So, so this is all for Connecticut, right? So, so what happens in New Haven looks very different than say what happens in Avon, right? Like, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah. Right. Well, talk so. a little bit about, about, I don't know, the disparities, the diversity, the distinctions, all the things that sort of, uh, uh, make all of Connecticut unique and how do you how do you pivot and shift through all these different kinds of 
opportunity, uh, different opportunities that people want to put in place respective to where they live? Yeah, that's a good question. That, that place-based strategy is huge for us, right? Like I was telling folks the other day, I was born in, born in Windsor, Connecticut, lived in Hartford for a number of years, and then moved to New Haven. So, um, you know, Hartford struggles with foot traffic. They're just not people on the streets. Like if you go to Hartford, it's, it's dead during the day, nine to five, and worse off, you know, after five, there might be a couple of happy hour spots, but no real nightlife. So, but there's a big insurance companies, there's a lot of manufacturing in the greater Hartford area. So, and there's a really strong creative arts ecosystem in Hartford. I would say what the, some of the most talented, diverse artists are in Hartford. And I say that specifically because I know New Haven has a really striving art scene, but what I've seen from the state level is that New Haven's art scene, although you know, a number of talented, incredible individuals. I think what makes Hartford a little bit different is there's little to no institutional support for artists and creatives in the greater Hartford and Hartford area. So because of that, they're able to be, I think, a bit more nimble and creative rather than I think a lot of the institutional money that's flowing into the arts ecosystem in New Haven adds, I think, a little bit of rigidity to it um, in the way that we see and interact with the performing arts and just creative arts in the city. So, you know, Hartford has insurance and it has, you know, in insurance companies and foot traffic. New Haven, there's an opportunity through bio, but there's also opportunity on the state level through food. City Seeds doing some incredible stuff. Shout out to Courtney and that squad, um, you know, uh, and, and really thinking through what the opportunities are there. Stanford, you have financial technology, you know, things like that. And then New London, Broughton area, you have the submarines, electric boats. So each one has their unique industry. And I think our job is to say, what are the ways that we can strengthen those industries? And what are the ways that we can diversify those industries in terms of individuals working in those places, businesses being launched? I mean, it's all those things that we look that that I think I find very interesting. But, you know, one thing I will say that's really frustrating is this rhetoric around Connecticut being in between New York and Boston. You know, mm. and everyone's saying it's between New York and Boston and these larger markets and we can never compete and rah, rah, rah. But I tell folks, I'm like, yo, last year, I took an hour and a half drive from my partner in New Haven to Tanglewood to watch the Boston Symphony Orchestra play. I don't, I don't, I forget, it was like Beethoven something, you know, charcuterie was fantastic, bottles of wine, feet up, coolers out, little folding chairs, blankets. We had ourselves a good old time. <laughs> and then came back to New Haven that night, uh, went to sleep, woke up the next day and went over to see um, a, a spoken rendition of Tanasi's Coats Between the World and Me. T.I. and a number of other individuals like almost had it be a, almost like a monologue with a number of other celebrities. And that was at the Apollo in Harlem. So as much as we talk about, you know, being between Boston and New York, Massachusetts, Right, Connecticut's uniquely placed as the only state that's both in the tri-state and New England. And we see that in our culture because we have a lot of the suburbs are very much like New England, right? Like the New England kind of old, I would say Puritan, um, like just good old fashioned suburbia where you have the cities, the Hartfords, New Havens, Waterbury, Bridgeports, that's more Jersey, New York, tri-state. <laughs> And all of those cultural influences make Connecticut a really unique melting pot. And I think that because of that, Connecticut has a really unique culture because 
we're taking the New England LL Bean, Bean Boots Subarus with the kind of like Drake, you know, uh, uh, 21 Savage, you know what I mean? Like New York, Harlem, you know, Newark, shout to Jersey, you know, all those things make Connecticut, Connecticut. And I think what I found is that institutional leaders, they don't know the city side of Connecticut. They live in the suburbs, they operate in the suburbs. So they don't understand the unique competitive advantage that comes from primarily black culture that's being that's influencing a lot of how Connecticut operates because they're just not in those spaces. So it's those things are like, you know, investing in things like sweets and sounds that Angel put on this past weekend at next weekend. I heard that was fabulous. Yeah, yeah it was incredible. Sorry I couldn't get there, but I heard it was it's people are still talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it was really incredible. And you know, Angel came to me a while ago and she's like, Oni, I want to do this for entrepreneurs. And I said, you know, here's a, a check, get it done. And we were kind of like the lead sponsor to make sure that vision came to life. Um, this Friday, we're hosting the first ever Yale Black Venture Summit. Where I was we gonna have, ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, I think, five businesses pitching for 20K. The first time in Yale's history and the history of school of management that there was like a summit just for Black-led or businesses oriented around the needs of Black people, right? And again, this is CT Next coming in with the Yale Black Business Alliance and saying, there's a gap here, this, this university is centuries old, but we're not talking about the future of entrepreneurship and culture. So those are conversations that CT Next, I think is pioneering in the state that is getting us to be a lot more competitive and also a bit of a differentiator between other places. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, so how many people are going to show up for this? Do people register? Like, and, yeah. and, and what are the business looking like? I mean, are you pleased with the diversity and the number of business who are going to be pitching? Like, like what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. So I think right now we have around 300 people registered. Whoa. Um, so we're really excited Whoa. about it. Yeah, yeah. We're not playing around, I think. And that just shows the need. That shows the need and the want, right? I think if you build something that is, is fits the need, and the expectation of, uh, I would say, under-resourced black and brown people in the state, I mean, they come out. And you know, I have a lot of conversations that, that are saying, oh, we can't find enough black and brown-led businesses to invest in. It's like, cause y'all not in the streets, like y'all not outside <laughs> talking to people, y'all, you know I mean? like, you're not looking, you're not looking, they're not in your network, you don't have those friends and you're not doing the work to get there. Um, but I'm really excited about it. Um, we have, uh, I think, Again, four businesses pitching, I think five, yeah, five businesses pitching, um, all Black-led organizations. It's everything from uh, helping to reduce hair braiding time to helping to empower students with dyslexia to have accessibility tools online. So again, a wide path, right? Some of these businesses help solve the needs for uh, Black help solve issues in the black community. Other of these are just black led organizations doing incredible work. Um, so really excited about, it. I think the big thing is the keynote. Idris Sandu, who's a young 20 something year old tech evangelist who's done work with Beyonce, Jay-Z, he helped build Nipsey Hustle store. Um, mm -hmm. So really, I mean, and he and I popped, popped on a call yesterday and just a, a young brilliant mind. Um, so the event, again, this Friday uh, at the Yale School of Management, free and open all day, breakfast, lunch is served, a number of panel discussions, business plan competitions and keynotes. So 
really excited for it. Really excited for it. Oh, I like it. So, so people from all over are gonna show up for this, right? Like, hopefully, they're gonna they're gonna come and just take this in. And so, yeah. uh, so if this is successful and it already is, so do you start planning for next year's? Like, do you yeah. think about what, how you build this next year, and and what? Because I'm I'm sure you already know this is what I need for next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think for us, you know, one thing that we're being intentional about is. You know, oftentimes what I found is that individuals kind of, they do something like this and the event is the thing. They come through, they host a big event and they're like, hey, we did it, we checked the box. But from our perspective, the event is just the opening the door to then provide more money to Black founders, more tax um, support for Black founders, more law and technical assistance. So for us, it's just saying, hey, Let's come in, let's have a conversation on the state level of how we can support you as entrepreneurs, as venture capitalists, or individuals seeking venture capital funding. And then from there, let's be intentional that between now and next year, instead of 55 businesses applying, let's get 155 businesses applying because we built the ecosystem over the past, over the next 12 months. So really thinking about not just doing something for the sake of doing it, but doing it to allow for more self-determination and entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystems around the state. So mm. definitely planning for next year, but planning also planning for everything we're going to do every month until next year to make sure that it's even better and we have more businesses showing up ready for money. I love that. So talk to me about the political implications of this. How are you working with legislators? Are they mm. helpful? Do they, I mean, are they, do they want this? Do they like this? Are they behind it? Is it partisan? Yeah. Is it bipartisan? What is it? Yeah, I think it's very bipartisan. Um, and, you know, legislators that I've talked to, you know, um, uh, Senator Ritter, Senator McCory over in Hartford, they have been huge, huge supporters um, of this work and, and really happy to have them support, you know, Senator Fonfara as well. So I think for us, we're really interested in saying our mandate as an organization is to increase the number of high growth businesses in the state of Connecticut. And I think in, in order to do that, we have to increase the amount of money they're getting, the amount of support that they're getting, and who sees themselves as being a high growth entrepreneur. So I think the third part is crucial because it it's allows all or more people to look at them and say, you know what, I can, I can start a company like that and I can do it in Connecticut because we have these resources in a way that I don't think was as intentional prior to, and because of that, or due to that, that's more jobs, that's uh, more tax revenue, that's higher paying wages. So all of those things are helpful for the state of Connecticut to continue to remain competitive. Um, and everyone wants the state of Connecticut to remain competitive. So, you know, we've been getting a lot of support, a lot of support and a lot of people reaching out to us, just seeing how we can, how they can plug in. I mean, Senator Murphy's office have been increasingly helpful in what we do. So. Yeah, uh, a lot of support. And, you know, it's politics, you know, so there's also a lot of folks I need to reach out to and have more conversations with to see how we can be more aligned and how we can be more helpful. Hmm. So um, everybody's talking about some sort of reentry component. And, and I'm starting to sort of see um, people talk to reentry folks uh, as entrepreneurs. Mm. And and, I, and I'm sure that kind of floats by you on some level because um, you can't help it. Uh, particularly in the state where you know we are we are wrestling with uh, 
uh, reentry issues and, and, and how best to serve that population. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one thing that CT Next supported in the past that I'm actually excited to continue the conversation with this uh, Matt Connell at University of Bridgeport started something called the ENET program that helped individuals currently incarcerated uh, and, uh, and recently incarcerated who have since got out uh, provide entrepreneurship education through University of Bridgeport. Um, so it's those things where, again, every opportunity we have to create smooth, clear, transparent on-ramps into entrepreneurship and innovation is something we're really excited about. So the ENET program and Matt Connell's work is really, uh, I think, really impactful in looking at ways to continue to support them, uh, whether it's financial or whether it's helping them find outside funders or letter support. Really, uh, and that's someone I, I need to reconnect with, but really continuing those conversations is really important. I love Matt's program. I think Matt's doing an incredible job. And I think University of Bridgeport is really innovative in the way that they're honoring the type of work that this is, that the type of work and the importance of this work um, at a high level. So yeah, it's something we think about a lot. Um, and not only that, but I think all under-resourced entrepreneurs, right? So there's folks uh, in the re-entry population I think we're, we're really interested in. Um, I'm really interested in the indigenous population, right? I think oftentimes when we talk about, you know, BIPOC communities, uh, we don't talk about the, the indigenous population primarily in the New London Groton area and kind mm. of like uh, like Southern Connecticut. Um, also think a lot of opportunities around, you know, veterans, right? So there, I think there's a lot of ways that we can think about and CT Next can do a better job of meeting people where they are, understanding their unique opportunities and needs, and then bring them in to the entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystem. So when you when you inventory other states and what they're doing, is there any any states out there that you dig what they're doing and you're like, hmm? Not really. I mean, there, uh, let me not. Oh, there might be like pockets of things that people are doing. You're like, there are pockets. There are pockets. That, that pockets, would work yeah. better in New there Haven, pockets, I know. Yeah. Or <laughs> that would work in New London or that would work in, you know, somewhere here in yeah. Connecticut. I think, you know, I've been really impressed by Miami, Miami's entrepreneurial ecosystem, because they're focused on, they're looking at, you know, their immigrant population as strengths. They're looking at, um, you know, their cultural uh, assets and tourism as opportunities to leverage entrepreneurship. Um, so it's really interesting the way that they're framing. I think most importantly, they have, they're organized, right? At least from the outside looking in. They have large foundations giving large dollars, city of Miami, like in the tens of millions um, to really get this done in an organized way. So I think they're doing some impressive work. Um, I think Massachusetts is a really interesting case study because there's Boston and there's everywhere else. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I think, yeah. you know, I, I, I really appreciate it was really interesting to me to see after Lego left, how many people from Holyoke to Northampton to Springfield were like, this is awful for us. And I'm like, oh yeah, Holyoke and Northampton, Springfield, their economy is more closer connected to, I would say like Northern Connecticut, greater Hartford area than it is to Boston. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like how can we tap in with them and then really do more work to get us a bit more aligned? Because I do think they're doing a lot more work and helping the Northamptons, the Walthams, 
um, the, the Springfields of Massachusetts have their own type of entrepreneurial ecosystems that may or may not be connected to Boston, but fits the needs of the people in that place. Uh, outside of that, you know, I think a lot of people look at the bigger markets, San Francisco, Austin, and I'm looking at that. I'm like, I don't want those housing prices. I don't want those housing costs. You know what I mean? I don't want that level of like poor transportation. I think there's a lot of things that the gentrification, I think there's a lot of things that um, happen to these large markets, the San Francisco's, the Austin's, the Seattle's of the world, um, based on their, based on their entrepreneurial innovation ecosystems, not being equitable and not being tied into how a city actually operates. And I think that's something that we're really not trying to replicate here in the state. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to think about, you know, in, in what you're doing, I'm sure that you sort of see things rise up that you can say, hey, legislators or people who are in charge of running a whole state, uh, mm. we're starting to see this trend or this development. And I think if we could get in front of this, this might clear a path. I mean, are you are you in a position to sort of do that kind of, you know, yeah, tapping yeah. on people's shoulders? Oh, 100%. 100%. And it's, it's quite honestly a voice I'm trying to navigate a lot better. Um, because I wasn't political. I wasn't in these spaces until January 17, 2022. So for me, understanding how the legislative session works, understanding how to get in front of folks, I think it's hugely important. But for me, I think th there's a couple of things, you know, just talent is huge. You know, I was talking to the head of the Connecticut Innovations, the venture capital arm of the state, and he was saying how 3,500 Connecticut-based jobs have been filled by out-of-state employees. So what are we doing to really try to ensure that these high growth companies who have these really well-off high paying jobs are captured by qualified candidates in Connecticut markets? So he and I are working intensely on thinking about solutions for that and talking to the Senator Fonterras of the world and talking to individuals around the state who can really push the envelope and really put some creative legislation in front of the, of the General Assembly this year. Um, you know, another thing that's really interesting to look at, uh, how we how we honestly think about a restorative justice framework for cannabis. Mm. Um, I think there's just it's those things where we we can we have the ability, we have the expertise. There's lessons learned from other states for Connecticut to really take the lead on. And it's those are the things that from just a, 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 a consumer perspective. We can be better off if we change some legislation to make it easier and more transparent in terms of what it means to cultivate and get that cultivation into the dispensaries and get that out to the consumer. And then back end, making sure that we're being honest about who was hurt by the war on drugs and the war on Black people through it and how we can really repair that damage done over the past several decades, uh, really since the Reagan era. So it's those the conversations that, they're, I mean, Babs, as you know, they're intense, right? I mean, People don't want to look at the, 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 the structures of this country in the face and really put forward some legislation to change it, remedy it, or interrogate it. Um, so, you know, my position is having those honest conversations to see what we can do to get to that next level. Mm. All right. So, so when, you, when you start the new year, I'm, or when you're in your fiscal year, you start your new year, you start planning about the kinds of things that you want to do. What does it look like? Because I, I went through your, your team and you've got a pretty impressive team, Oni. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just try to hire people smarter than me. So it's worked <laughs> out so far. Um, that's a good question. I mean, our, our fiscal starts July 1. So we're in the thick of it now. Um, I think what was really interesting is how much was learned in the past year um, through just conversations, through having a year on the job, through going through a legislative session last year for the first time. Um, so now with a year under my belt, I'm really excited to tune up this organization to fit the needs of the, the larger ecosystem, larger state. So it's about uh, looking at my team and saying, hey, y'all are closer to the entrepreneurs, to the businesses, to the ecosystem than I am. So you tell me what we need. And you shouldn't be looking at it in isolation. Go talk to folks, right? People know their problems. The people closest to their problems, people closest to solutions. So talk to entrepreneurs, talk to the organizers, talk to the union folks, talk to everyone and see what's rising to the top and how can we use our taxpayer dollars, the $13.5 million we get every year to really serve them in an honest and open way. Um, and that's the mandate that I have now. I told my team, you know, every month, at least once a month, you have to go to entrepreneurship event. It's mandatory we're working here. You can't be inside just reading think pieces. That's not how we interact with folks. We need to be in the coffee shop. We need to be outside. We have to have people know who we are so that if we do say no to the grant, then you have to see them at the next event and look in the eyes and tell them why, right? We can't throw a stone and hide our hand that I've seen a lot of times in organizations across Connecticut and across the country. It's that like radical transparency that can, can help embolden and embrace trust. And that's what it's all about. Mm. I I have enjoyed this conversation. This has been good. I want you to come back more often and talk about all this good work because uh, I think this is, I, I love the fact that Connecticut has a real commitment to innovation and yeah. startup. Like that's, I think that's huge. That that says that Connecticut is thinking about its future. Yeah. For me, as far as I'm concerned. And, and I think um, that that can encapsulate a lot of different kinds of folks, women, uh, reentry, mm -hmm. uh, indigenous, BIPOC, all the things um, that can sort of uh, throw their hat out there. So um, um, what have you learned and liked so far at, before I let you go? <laughs> um, what has been the greatest, the, 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 the thing that you like, I, you know what, this was all right. I'm going to get up and come to work again tomorrow. <laughs> that's, good. Uh, that's a good question. Besides my team, who I, I mean, I truly love dearly. I, 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 I put together all-star squad. I don't, you, I can look at them and I'm like, I'm Yo, impressed. It's thank impressive. you. Those, those are the homies for real. Like they are my people and I will do anything for them. Uh, so outside of my incredible team. Um, oh man. I think a lot of what I do and a lot of how I present in the world, both professionally and personally, is just trying to be the model of, you know, a 12-year-old Oni living in Windsor, Connecticut, who had a dream of doing something incredible. I really try to just set the precedent for folks to understand that, you know, why not you? Why not us? Um, and I think that's what gets me up every day, just trying to set the table for the next generation to eat. Um, and, and if I can do that well... Um, as well as I can, then, you know, that's, that's a life worth living in my opinion. Uh, so I think that's, that's what gets me up. Um, the big learning to me is time and balance. I'm really trying to understand what it means to show up every day, be as forward facing, leading a team, um, understanding, taking to time and space to love and grieve and live and all the things that come with life. 
uh, as as you're navigating the world. So I think those are the kind of the two big things that that I've learned just a lot. It's been more of a leadership journey. The work is the work. I've done the work. I know the work. You know, I mean, it's easy because there's so much that needs to get done. It's like going into a really dirty kitchen. Like you can start mopping, you can start sweeping, you can start doing the dishes. It doesn't matter where you start. We just need to clean the kitchen. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's always going to be there. <laughs> I do. Um, I do. But it's really about the leadership that I think has been the biggest takeaways. Yeah. Well, it has been my pleasure to spend time with you uh, a, couple, a week ago uh, at mm. Storytellers Week up in uh, uh, Cornwall, Connecticut. Yep. Uh, beautiful Cornwall, Connecticut, mm. under the auspices of of the uh, Groundstein Memorial Fund who hosted Story Week. That was wonderful. wonderful. And it was really nice to spend time with you and hear your stories. Mm, thank you, Babs. I appreciate you as always. Uh, and we'll find another time to talk about wine too. Oh, yes. Because you know what? We're going to do this thing. We got. Hey. I have been thinking about <laughs> it ever since. So yep. let's, let's get on the calendar and uh, let's make it happen. <laughs> done and done, Babs. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Orny. Say hi to your team and uh, thank you for your time this morning. Will do. Have a good day. All right. Take care. Thank Bye. you, Harry Droz. I'm on my way out, but y'all be good. Don't hurt nobody. Be good. And uh, look out for Issa out there door dashing. <laughs> I'll see y'all soon. Thank you, Paul. Bye. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP. 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases, with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhvbacks.org. Mm-hmm.